Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no off-season, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 6th day of August 2018 from outside of Sunken Diamond on the campus of Stanford University here in Palo Alto. This is the alma mater of many great players, including Mike Mussina and Black Jack McDowell. So, I'm obviously still buzzing about this weekend, and what I want to do right now is uh, I, I'm get this is a kind of a uh, what I, my mom would call a podcast like this must goes, and there's a point during the week when there there's so many uh, leftovers in the refrigerator. That you essentially have a meal where it's these, these are muscos. We just gotta clear everything out. We're gonna have we're gonna have like a like a, a a potpourri of crap that we have in Tupperware, so we can clear all of it out and start again. And so in this podcast, I'm just gonna there's some stuff that I've been meaning to talk about, and I just gotta clear it all out so we can move forward going. But first and foremost, obviously, I'm over the moon. What happened this weekend? Because I had Jason Keitel on. It's so funny. And he, he mentioned this. He wrote a funny column about it on WFAN.com. Uh, and I'll put a link of it here. That I had him on because I wanted to talk to him about the Big Red Sox-Yankees series. And we were starting the podcast just as the first game was beginning. And uh, Didi Gregorius of the Yankees had hit a three-run home run as the third batter of the game to give the Yankees a 3 nothing lead. And at that point... You can even hear me go like, ah, well, you know, we're probably going to lose this game. Because I thought it was a game they were going to lose. You know, it was this game that Sabathia started. It was not a game that I felt that the Red Sox had uh, uh, an advantage in. So, so we're down 3 nothing early. I thought, well, might as well get clobbered early so I don't have to put my emotion into the game. That's, that's what I thought. I think I even said it on the show. And holy cow, what happened after that? was, I mean, it's not often that you see a four-game series between two teams that were nominally the best teams in baseball. And one team basically lose in every way that you can lose in four games. They get you know, the one is when they get uh, cl- their middle relief gets absolutely clobbered. They're they're two where they're just outpitched by two dynamic pitching performances, and one where they collapse in the ninth inning with a combination of wildness and bad defense. I mean, I, I'm piling on a little bit here. The Red Sox played very well. Let's give the Red Sox some credit. They did not have Chris Sale. They they lost Ian Kinsler. They don't have a, they don't have Nunez at third, so they're not playing all their best players. But their key players are firing on all cylinders right now. They had a dynamic performance by Rick Porcello. They had a dynamic performance by Nathan Ivaldi. They had a grinded out performance by Price. And the, you know, 
so, I mean, there was a lot of positives. Obviously, Steve Pierce had the three-home run game. He had another home run. Obviously, uh, Mookie Betts was phenomenal. Obviously, Andrew Benintendi and J.D. Uh, Martinez all put up terrific numbers throughout the series. Obviously, Sandy Leon came up big a couple of times. But the the thing about the Yankees, I'm not saying this as a Red Sox fan to pile on. Let me rephrase that. I'm saying this a little bit as a Red Sox fan to pile on. But I'm also saying it as an objective, you know, as a objective observer. And that is they should be terrified. This was a horrific performance. Because first of all, I mean, I was listening a lot to the the radio broadcast with uh John Sterling and Susan Waldman for it, uh, basically out of pure schadenfreude on my part, but they were praising the fact that Luis Severino pitched into the six, Chance uh, Adams pitched five innings, and that Tanaka, oh, what a, he was great, he was great, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm on earth, right? I'm on earth, because the starting pitching for the Yankees was not a strength this week. It can't be a strength when no pitcher goes six innings. Porcello threw a complete game. Ivaldi probably could have thrown a complete game, but they wanted to give Kimbrell uh, an inning, and that was the only inning he pitched in the whole weekend. Price pitched into the seventh. I mean, those are games where you say, okay, that's a quality start. You know, I'm sorry, Tanaka only let up one run. Yes, he didn't go five innings. He didn't qualify for a win. Not that I look at wins and losses, nor do I think you should ever manage based upon the wins and losses. In fact, I'm working on a podcast I'm going to drop this week where I talk about how we should evaluate and how we should list pitchers and how we should look at them in terms of their their performance and doing so without going to any sort of new sabermetric stat, but through traditional stats, then you should never manage that. You should never say, oh, we got to push him to five innings so he can get a win. That shouldn't even cross the manager's mind. But Tanaka didn't give him five. And Severino pitched in game two after Sabathia gave him three innings. Three. And Severino looked awful out of the gate. And he had to grind and claw his way to two outs in the sixth inning when he finally was relieved. But I'm sorry, that's an all-star pitcher. That's supposed to be your ace. People were talking about him like he was a Cy Young contender at one point. He has been awful recently. And in a game where they had no choice but to have him go long, then they... Yeah, we're going to praise him because he almost pitched six innings? I mean, they got to the point where Chance Adams was, yeah, I I give the guy credit. He pitched five innings, only let up three runs in his Major League debut. But, I mean, that's your pitching highlight. And Aaron Boone, the way he handled, I mean, game one set the tone for the rest of the series. He, did, he took out Sabathia after three. Holder got his ass kicked. Green got his ass kicked. 
and he was forced to bring in Sessa, who was supposed to start the third game of the series. And so they had to dip into the minor leagues and pick up this poor kid who was down 2 nothing before his parents came down and started the video camera. And you had players thrown to the wrong bases and you had all sorts of mental errors going on. It was startling as a Red Sox fan to watch this team. And if I were a Yankee fan, I'd be crapping my pants. If you remove Aaron Judge from this lineup, this lineup sucks. I mean, look what happened. Yes, you tip your hat to Porcello, Ivaldi, and Price. But Jesus, those aren't like, this isn't Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. I mean, this is a lineup that, save for a solo shot by Anduar, a garbage-time rally in Game 3, and the four-run inning that was highlighted by the Bogarts era last night, take those three innings away, they don't score the last three games. Oh, we didn't have Judge. Well, guess what? What if he doesn't come back? Or what if he slows down? What if he's not the big, huge, honking man of burning love when he comes back? Every team has injuries. This is a... If I were a Yankee fan, look it, I'm not. I'm obviously a Red Sox fan. I'm obviously dancing around. My podcast I did with Jason Keidel, I said in the podcast, I'd be fine with a split. That's all I wanted was a split. It was five and a half games the Yankees entering Fenway. I said, if they can leave still five and a half back, that's a victory. Because then that means they didn't gain anything. When you're, when you're pre- trying to prevent someone from catching up, you want to make sure they can't gain on you. And so after Friday, you know, after the, the Porcello masterpiece... I was thinking the whole series, the game, both the Saturday and the Sunday game. I'm like, this is house money. They can't gain ground. And after the Evaldi victory, the Red Sox could have lost 48-2. to And it still would have been a triumphant weekend. And I even found myself saying, hey, you know, they they when they got the uh, hit by Martinez to make it 4-3... In the ninth, I thought, like, well, do you know what? At least they're showing some guts. At least they're showing some guts. And then Andujar throws the ball away. And the minute they threw the ball away, they just should have all walked off the field. Because you all knew there was no way the Yankees were going to win that game. And the Yankees had burnt all their great relievers. There's their great bullpen. The spectacular bullpen. The starters stunk. The middle relievers stunk. Chapman stunk, the lineup stunk, the defense stunk, and the manager stunk. And this is me saying it, not, you know, rubbing it in their face. I'm saying this. If you're a Yankee fan, this should terrify you. This has been about a quarter of the season where the Yankees are a sub-500 team. And Chapman has been... Not ordinary. He's been bad. Severino has been bad. Sabathia looks bad. You're going down the stretch, and Oakland is right on the Yankees' ass right now.
the whole concept of, well, you know, it's going to be Red Sox, Yankees, Red Sox, Yankees. One of them's going to be the wild card, and you know they're going to they're going to stampede their way. Really? The A's are only two and a half back. And for the last two months, the A's have been the best team in baseball. The idea of the A's passing the Yankees is not outlandish. And for I mean the Yankees have to forget the Red Sox because guess what they're only five they're only six in front in the loss column of Seattle. And let me tell you something. One of the biggest collapses in Red Sox history was in 2011. They had the wild card sewn up, and there was no wild card game back then. They had the wild card all sewn up. And they were in striking distance of the Yankees to win the division. And that September, they absolutely had a cataclysmic, disastrous collapse. And people can blame this and people can blame that. But the main thing that destroyed the Red Sox was their starting pitching could not give them five innings. And this was the infamous... uh, fried chicken beer and video games when as they were collapsing down the stretch they were just getting drunk and eating fried chicken in the clubhouse and I remember that was a slow painful death that whole month and game after game they couldn't get and they couldn't get their starting pictures any length and their bullpen was haggard and exhausted by the end. And the recipe of a collapse like that is always attached to the starting pitching staff. Is Jay Happ, who's come back from the strange disease, is he going to be an ace? What are they going to get at Sabathia? What are they going to get at Tanaka? What are they going to get at Severino? Is there going to be Sessa? Is it going to be Sonny Gray? Is it going to be Lance Lynn? I mean, we're going into a year where people were wondering whether or not this is going to be one of the great Yankee teams of all time. And you're actually going to hear people say the sentences, well, uh, Jay Happ is going to secure the rotation. Lance Lynn is going to secure the rotation. They got rid of Adam Warren to get some, you know, some uh, slot money or something like that. They could have used him this weekend. You're going to start seeing Sonny Gray pitch. And Sonny Gray, who has been a catastrophe. This is me not as a gloating Red Sox fan, but as someone pointing out, this is the recipe of a collapse. The A's are playing like Ah, it's no one's business. Absolutely. We're gonna they're just gonna keep winning. Now the Yankees have a very soft schedule the rest of the way. But so did the twenty eleven Red Sox. Do you know what happens a lot of times when you have the Yankees come into town? Do you know what happens? The teams get up. The idea of being able to knock the Yankees on their ass might be could be a big-ass motivating factor for some of these teams. Do I think the White Sox are going to take two out of three from the Yankees? No, but 
They'll take a game. And who knows, if they take one of the first two games, it puts the Yankees on their heels saying, are we going to lose a series to the goddamn White Sox? Sorry, Ray. The recipe of a calamity is there. And I'm sorry if I don't look at Jay Happ and Lance Lynn as the great saviors. But if you remove Severino and Sabathia from any sort of length, they're going to wear down that bullpen. And if you can't rely on Chapman, and I've seen nothing since the All-Star break that makes me think you can, then, you know, if you're in situations where you lose a bunch of games, you're not using Chapman regularly, and you always get that excuse, well, he hasn't had a lot of work recently. Well, it wasn't a safe situation. He couldn't throw a strike to save his life last night. And good for J.D. Martinez for swinging at the first pitch. Because Chapman was throwing it all over the place. And screw it, I'm going to throw one right down the middle. I'm going to throw a strike to get ahead of him. Boom! Two runs in. How do you like that? Yeah, Enduar threw the ball in the dirt. But Chapman also walked three batters. There's a recipe of a c- c- absolute cataclysmic collapse. Is it out of the question to have the Mariners gain six games in the in the lost column to catch the Yankees? Is that out of the question? Is it out of the question that the A's could leapfrog the... Actually, I think the A's will leapfrog the Yankees. The A's are the better team right now. I mean, come at me with that. If you had the choice of A's-Yankees in a best-of-five series right now, who in their right mind would pick the Yankees? Now, is it a long shot that the Mariners pass the Yankees? Yes. Do I think the Yankees are going to be a wild-card team at this point? Yes. Do I think they're going to win the wild-card game? How the hell can anyone say that? I'd be nervous about the construction of this team and the fact that their managers, their first test, his first test, he had a team that looked unprepared, was sloppy. He made there were managerial mistakes. Man, I mean, there's no way Aaron Boone would survive if if the if they don't win the wild card game. Under George, he would have been fired. He would have been fired after this four game sweep. But he's there, and I've seen nothing, nothing that he's done this year that makes him qualified to be the manager of this team other than the fact that 15 years ago he hit a home run. Somewhere Joe Girardi is looking around going, at least I had a damn binder. All right, now I'm going to talk about just a couple of things because people have asked me to comment on them, and I'm I'm going to. Um, First things first, you know, there's all these tweets when we find out that this player when he was younger tweeted this racist thing or this homophobic thing. Uh, This is all I'm going to say about that. This is the first generation that wrote down all their stupid thoughts and put them out for all the world to see permanently. This is the first, you know, 10 years of social media being part of our language and how we communicate. And so naturally, there are going to be people who don't know the ramifications of writing stupid shit. Now, 
I'm sure when I was younger, I did some things and wrote some things that probably were homophobic and probably were sexist. And I'm not dismissing those. I'm not saying, I'm not taking myself off the hook for those. Uh, I've learned how wrong that was. And if anyone, if I wrote anything and someone said, well, did you really think that? I said, yeah, at the time I probably did. And I was stupid and I was wrong. And I'm ashamed of some of the things I used to say and think. And I am glad that I didn't write him down for a permanent record. So I can't throw stones. I never did anything I think was racist. But I'm sure because I was, I was, I didn't know better. Or maybe it was just the wrong thing. And I'm sure there are things that if I had written then, I would have to be accountable for them. And I'm very glad that I was allowed to be stupid and not put it on the record and learn to become a better person. Um, I do hope that everyone who wrote stupid things and put them on the public record becomes better, become better people. Because sometimes that's step one. You know, I had to have people point out to me Especially when I moved to New York, some of the, and I thought I was a pretty enlightened person, but some of the things that I had thought about gay people and women and, and transgender people and everything, I, I, I was wrong and I had to learn and I'm glad that we're learning. I'm glad that I learned and I'm glad that I was my, the errors of my thoughts were shown to me. I think I'm a better person now. Now, one of the positive things that we can make of all this Twitter bullshit is it shines the light on, hey, you no longer have the excuse of, I'm young. You no longer have the excuse of, I didn't know better. You know, it, it Twitter giveth and it taketh. And one of the things that it can giveth is a chance to have us say, hey, wait a minute. The whole thing of, oh, I was young and racist at the time, but now I didn't know better then. Now you do. And we can point this out earlier. We can show it earlier. And also maybe it'll get people starting to think a little bit before they start posting everything for people to see that maybe you should be reflexive. Maybe you should try to understand how the other person thinks or, or acts and not always assume the worst and not always assume you're superior. So uh, I'm for taking anyone to the woodshed. I am. I'm for booing them. I'm for there being consequences. Yes, you have the freedom of speech, but you also have consequences. And I am all for that. I am all for people learning. And sometimes when you learn, someone has to be burnt. And if you said something racist, you said something homophobic, you said something misogynistic, you said something transphobic, it should be pointed out that it was wrong and you were wrong for doing it. And you should, if you're a public figure, 
apologize. Because guess what? If you're a baseball player, you're a public figure. If you're a baseball player, you're a role model. You don't like that? Then quit and play in your, your pizza league or whatever. Because part of the job is you're a public figure and kids look up to you. And maybe one of the things you can do is say, hey, kids, don't do this. Kids, don't make the mistake I made. Don't do the wrong thing I did. Learn, be better. So I have no problem. Boo. If you have if you have a problem, because there's another thing. Guess what? They're women fans. Not every fan's a white straight male. They're gay fans. They're transgender fans. They're pansexual fans. They're black fans and Latino fans and this and people of all shades and all shades of sexual orientation and identity who love baseball. And maybe, just maybe, it would be good for the game if you don't dismiss when someone dismisses an entire community. Learn from it. Be better. Improve. And if you did something wrong in the past, own it. Show responsibility. Show some remorse. Take some responsibility. Maybe take a little bit of the heat. And then move on and become a better person. Your pal Sully did. I just didn't write the stuff that I may have thought and joked about and put it out there for all to see. It's the effect of this new way of communicating. And I absolutely believe the world would be a better place if Twitter had a 60-second countdown. Type something, send, and for 60 seconds, you look at it. First of all, you could proofread it, but also you can stop and think and say, do I really want to send this? Is this really worth putting out there? Is this going to make the world better or worse? Now let's talk about the other thing. I'm not going to go on to great deal, detail about this because it's pretty cut and dry. And that is the Osuna trade by the Astros. I've heard a lot of people say it's a complicated issue. It's controversial. It's uh, you know, there's a lot of ass, you know, facets to it and hand wringing. Why? What's the controversy? The Astros made a decision that they felt that a relief pitcher who throws hard is more important to them than taking a stance against domestic violence. That's simple. The Astros talked a big game when it was a player in their minor leagues who probably was never going to see the light of day of a major league game. They talked a big game about him. But when they realized, hmm, our bullpen's not as deep as we want it to be, then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know what? This guy is serving a suspension. It's not even like, well, he served his time. He was serving his time. And then they went out of their way to bring him there, sending their prior closer, Giles, as an insult to Toronto. And then all of a sudden, the Verlander and McCullers, who talked a big game, they talked a big, big game when it was some double-A player. And Lunau 
talked a big game about how there's zero zero tolerance of domestic violence. Suddenly it was, ah, we we found a little bit of tolerance for domestic violence. Over a one inning a game reliever. You know, I mean, I I don't want to bring it down to that, but you know how easy it is to find relievers? You know? You know how often you put a reliever in a World Series situation, someone without prior closing experience, and see them flourish? Like Koji Uehara, or Jason Mott, or Sergio Romo, or Wade Davis? It seems like every year there's a pitcher... Or last year, when they couldn't rely on Giles anymore. So what did they do? They mixed and matched. You can't put Davinsky in there. You can't put someone else in there. You had to go and say, we are going to raise a middle finger to the women of Houston and all of baseball to say, do you know what? We don't care if he committed domestic violence. He throw ball hard. They made the choice. If you want to say there was a player who is suspended, who's on your team, they're activated, and they say, do you know what? We're going to try to deal with this. This guy's part of the team. We're going to see if we can move on. I'm not crazy about that either. But that's different from saying we're going to go out of our way and bring him aboard. That was what I did not like about the Yankees twice and the Cubs once bringing in Chapman. And so they did it. In it comes. Guy's serving the suspension, and he has said everything wrong. Well, we don't really know what happened. That's what the guy said. Yeah, you know what happened. And you know what happened to the point where you accepted a, what was a 75, 80-game suspension? Which brings us to one major thing that pisses me off. Robinson Cano is not eligible for the postseason. He did performance-enhancing drugs. Roberto Osuna is eligible for the postseason. He committed domestic violence. Baseball is literally saying that it is worse to inject a drug than it is to beat a woman. And that sucks. Osuna, the absolute minimum of being suspended for domestic violence is you can't play in the World Series. You can't play in the playoffs. And if that was the case, he would have no value. We're not having this conversation. Think of all the relievers that were bounced around. You put one of them in and say, hey, look, this guy may not have saves, but he's got good stuff. We'll put him in the late closer role and see what happens. Or guess what? You go into the postseason, you're going to start Verlander, right? You're going to start Charlie Morton. You're going to start Garrett Cole. And then you have Dallas Keuchel and you have Lance McCullers Jr. You can't start all five. What if you move McCullers into the closer role? Or Keiko? Or you move people around in that talented bullpen? But no. And not only that, but they threw a Molotov cocktail at a super likable team and what appeared to be a unified and happy clubhouse. And now you have this shit. And you want to ask Jeff Linnell, was it worth it? Was it worth it? For a guy who's going to give you, what, 20 innings? There really wasn't someone better that didn't have this baggage? That didn't have this stain? Really? 
So it's not a complicated situation. The Astros made, you're, you're defined by your actions, not by what you say. I can say I never want to eat cookies again, and then you put a big plate of Chips Ahoy in front of me, and guess what? I'll eat the plate. You could say you have a zero tolerance on domestic violence, but if you go out of your way to acquire someone who's still in the middle of a suspension, nah, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. So, I got the Twitter shit out. I got my thoughts on Asuna out. And now we can just focus on the rest of the season as we're now in the final you know, third of the season, just about the final quarter of the season, actually. And let's review something. If the playoffs started today, the Red Sox would have the best record in baseball. The Yankees and the Oakland A's would play each other in the, in the wild card game. The winner of that game would play the Red Sox. Meanwhile, Cleveland, who is starting to put together a season that makes their the fact that they get a free ride into the division series not so egregious, they would play Houston. Gee whiz, I wonder who I'll be rooting for. Meanwhile, in the National League, the Reds, Mets, Marlins, and Padres are the only teams without a shot. And we'll be talking about that later this week and the craziness that is the National League pennant race where there are, I think there are legitimate, um, it, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams that I think have a legit shot to win the pennant and two teams that are on the periphery. So you can make the argument that seven, maybe as many as nine teams can look themselves in the mirror and say, we have a shot at the World Series. And only five of those nine teams are even going to make the playoffs. Let me talk about that later this week. But for now, go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Sitting outside Sunken Diamond in Stanford, just clearing out the fridge. This has been Sully Baseball for the 6th day of August 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.